and welcome to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. I can't believe it. Friday is already here. It came so fast this week. Wow, it's been a been a great week though. We're going to take your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com and uh, we'll get to a bunch of those emails here in just a little bit. Brian, where do you want to start on a Farmer Friday? Uh, soil testing. I think with the way fertilizer prices are, if you're not soil testing, you're really guessing. And this year, it's just way too many dollars to be guessing. You know, when we look at these high fertilizer prices, it was interesting. I saw a post online with just where where the highest price ever for these fertilizer products was at and where we're at today. And we aren't that far off the all-time highs on some of these prices. And it figures we've got a decent crop price. We're raising the most bushels on average per acre that we've ever raised. So there's a lot of value there. There's no doubt about that. But man, when, when you ramp up how many dollars are involved per acre on expenses and also gross profit, yeah, it just makes that decision much more critical. And it's sure hard to make that decision if you don't have good data. Yeah, and the whole thing is, a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm just going to cut. Well, I, I'm not all for that. And the reason why is because you may be cutting stuff that's making you money. That's the last thing you want to do. Then you're going to come out behind. So I'm not saying not cut fertilizer uh, applications. We are on our farm too. But what we're trying to do is be smart about what we're cutting. So what we cut doesn't hurt us. And we got a lot of spots on our farm that don't need much fertilizer. Some don't need any. Um, nitrogen's a good example. A lot of people don't soil test for nitrogen in the fall. We do every year. And this is a good example. We have some spots on our farm with 250 pounds of nitrogen sitting there right now. We're just about to freeze up on super heavy ground. That nitrogen, I will promise you, will be available for our crop next year. So why would I put any out when I already have 250 pounds out there and I'm going to get another probably 80 to 100 pounds out when the organic matter mineralizes during the course of the summer next year. So I'm just saying, if you soil test and you read that soil test, you can possibly save yourself a lot of money. And then the other side of it is, hopefully it's going to tell you where you really desperately need fertilizer. So you shouldn't be cutting back because we still do have good commodity prices. And if it's going to pay, why not do it? You know, here's the other thing too, Brian, because I, I was just uh, on the way in today, I, I was driving by one of our neighbors who's got a bunch of lime piled up out on their fields, and I'm not making any judgments out of that. We've spread a bunch of lime on our farm too, where we've had low soil pH. But I know this, where our dad grew up, there were guys that were putting on lime every fourth year. That was just part of their program, corn, beans, corn, beans, lime. And I never really understood that. I thought, well, wait a second. If the lime fixes it, why are they right back to putting more lime on? But here's one of those things. If you had a year like this where you had a bunch of carryover nitrogen left at the end of the season, that's awesome. It's amazing. It's a great asset for your farm in terms of dollars you don't have to spend. But if you do overdo it on end, when that end turns to nitric acid and leaches out of your soil, it takes calcium with it, and now you've got a lime. And so there's a lot of things here. It's not just, I'm going to save money on my nitrogen fertilizer costs this year by not having to put any out there or, or putting less out there than I would have otherwise. 
but it's also avoiding that Lime application that's going to come down the road if you overdo it on end. So it's kind of a win-win thing. It's kind of like harvest loss and how important it is to minimize harvest loss. I got a picture uh, from a farmer over in Minnesota today, and it was a field that looked pretty green. And my first reaction, just looking at the picture before I zoomed in, was, wow, you got a nice stand on your cover crop. And then you zoom in on the picture, it's corn. It's corn that didn't make it in the combine. And, oh, my goodness, he had a tremendous standout in the field. And you think about it, not only you lost the income on the corn that you should have had in the combine and in the bin, but now you've got to pay money to get rid of, I mean, there'll be some that germinates this fall like that. No problem. That'll die from the frost, but there's going to be more coming. I don't have any illusions that every corn seed that dropped on the ground sprouted and came. There's going to be more volunteer corn to kill next year. Okay. I got to go back to what you said about the lime deal. Two things that I want to make sure we're clear on. In a year like this, you're not going to lower your pH with the excess nitrogen because it isn't leaching out. So it's it's more in a wet year. Not where yet, you leach out yeah, but you can have a wet and spring. You're going to lose that pH. Right, but you well, can have a wet spring. No, no. I, really? Yeah. Really? Heavy Are you oil. kidding me? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm, we're not going to get 15 inches of rain in the spring. We're so far behind our That's our That's what we said coming out of 2012. It's that dry. That's what we said oh, yeah, coming out of dry. 2012. Remember how dry we were? And then you got into uh, no. 2013, 2014. No, we had, we had 13 inches of, of rain July. in June. Uh, that was in 2014. Yep, yes. 2014. But I'm just saying, and we are were dry. we really going to have that much happen? And But see, if it's June, then our corn was already knee-high, waist-high. We are already using a bunch of nitrogen. But here... Here's what I want to go back to with this nitrogen deal. Um, the reason why we had excess this year was the drought. Okay. So and number one, we didn't use as much, but number two, we mineralized a lot more than normal because we were hotter and drier than normal early. Anyway, when it's dry, don't get too nervous about your soil pH because soil pH could be three tenths to a half a point too low because your soil is really dry. So it'll be a little bit the same way with potassium. Your potassium will look a little lower than normal in super dry conditions when you're soil testing. So I just want to caution you, if you're making lime recommendations this fall and your soil pH is 6, it might actually be 6.3 or 6.5, and it's perfectly fine. So like for our farm, I, I mean, unless it's in the fives this fall, there's no chance we're going to put any lime on. No way. No, that's that's for sure. It's it's one of those things where you just do have to do soil testing. We do recommend each year you look at your farm and maybe you don't sample every acre like we're going to do, but you start sampling so on a regular rotation. So you're keeping an eye on where fertility levels are at out on your farm and then looking at what is making the difference for your yield and what you need to actually spend the money on going into next year because, hey, we've got high fertility prices. We've got a chance to make great income, though, because crop prices are good, too. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. 
Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. That means our phone lines will be open the whole show today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or for those who are challenged by their phone, like my brother, that's 844-442-4743. Yeah, it's tough to spell Ag PhD, I guess, for, for Brian anyway. Hopefully not for you. Uh, and if you have trouble with that, you can still email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to North Dakota. Got Norm with us right now. Norm, how's it going? Good, Darren. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We, uh, we're finishing up our last field of corn today, and that's nice to have that all in the bin. We got a ton of work to do out there yet this fall. How about you? Um, we got into the corn a couple hundred acres off, and then it got maybe a little wet for us, so we're and we actually got a little rain at, for the first time in a couple of months, I think. Now, wow, we picked up an inch, which was nice. So harvest has kind of been put on hold for a little bit. Other than that, uh, like I said, it was good to see some rain finally. Yeah, no kidding. I know uh, there there was a farmer I was talking to in Minnesota here just uh, well probably two weeks back, and they had caught the first rain they'd had in a little bit in his area, and he said he he tried to do a little bit of tillage. And it was a disaster. Then they got the rain, and all of a sudden everything worked great. So he's like, "Man, that was awesome." Normally, don't like rain in the fall, but sure helped this time. Yeah, no, we actually were very fortunate in our area. A little little pocket up here that uh, we've had pretty decent crops given the very minimal rain we've received this year. So you don't go very far any direction from us, and the yield drops off very drastically. So we. We had respectable yields up here for very little moisture. We are very fortunate. Yeah, I did get up into your part of North Dakota uh, this fall, and it was impressive. And you're right. You didn't have to go very far, and you get out of that zone. And, yeah, guys were really struggling. So when when you look at it like this, you, you have a year where you get good prices, you get a decent crop that sure heals up for a, a lot of the tough years you guys have had too. 
Ah, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, just looking forward to inputs for next year, though. It could take some of those profits and burn them up pretty quick. <laughs> well, but, it can't be easy, Norm, and it can't be too lucrative no, yeah. or, or everybody would want to do it. And, yeah, I know there's a, a few pieces of ground not too far from our farm that are going to sell, and it's going to be interesting to see what those go for as well because I think when guys have some cash in their pocket, there gets to be a lot of competition at some of those sales. Yeah, so I guess we're not putting any winter wheat in. I've heard a couple guys maybe putting in some winter wheat. And I guess they say it's sprouted and it's growing pretty nice. So there is a little interest in that again. And um, I guess there is some strip tilling going on this fall. Going to be some fertilizer put down that way just to capture some of the early, uh, the fall pricing on the fertilizer for this area. That's basically, you know, minimum or no-till sure. for the most part. You know, there's a lot of question too when I was up in your area uh, Boy, not that long ago, a month and a half ago, I suppose. And guys at that time are already talking, man, I'm looking at nitrogen prices and I'm thinking maybe we'll go some more soybeans on the farm. What Are you leaning one way or the other on which crop you might go to, Norm? Uh, I like to stick with my rotation. I guess we've got a lot of a lot of inputs bought already for next year, which I'm happy about. Um, and don't, you know, you always hear, uh, I'm going to grow more beans, but... I mean, I, I hate to put all my eggs in too much in one basket versus spreading out the risk over, you know, the four crops we do raise. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's, it's, uh, it's tough to make those big wholesale changes. And there's a lot of talk always about, oh, I'm going to switch a lot of acres this way. And, and then by the time the planters start coming out in the spring, it, it changes. So yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see. I, I know once you say uh, you do some strip till and some of those things and get some fertilizer down, you've kind of kind of laid your bed there. You're you're heading a certain direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Norm, good to it. hear. Good to hear things turned out well for you guys up there. I, I'm really excited. Was there one crop you'd say this was a standout, or did you say they were all pretty good? Um. I guess they all were pretty good. I mean, the genetics have just, I don't know, gotten that much better, and they can perform with very little moisture just at the right time of the year. And I, I look at this year, and I think, well, we've had so many wet years with disease issues. I'm like, you know, maybe disease is a bigger hindrance on yield than than lack of moisture because, you know, we had you know basically no disease pressure, and we had, you know, outstanding yields and good quality. Yeah, that that is that is interesting. And I know um, uh, up in your area with some of the soils that that you guys work with, it's probably an easier year. If, tell me if I'm wrong here, but to to be a little on the dry side than a little on the too wet side. Oh, absolutely. With you know no drainage or nothing up here, it's definitely we're used to being too dry than too wet. Yep, yep, that's for sure. Well, glad you caught that that inch of rain now. That hopefully that improves things going into this fall. It's great talking to you, Norm, and, and good luck to you. Thank you, Darren. You bet. Thanks. Uh, we've got Bill with us now over in Indiana, and I just got a a text from my sister Bill with a yield trial, and it looks like it's got your name on it with some pretty fantastic yields, low moisture, and high test weight. I, I don't know. Hopefully, you're not calling to complain about something with that. It looks pretty good. Yeah, we've been really fortunate. Uh, the uh, first variety that I planted was a shorter season, 112 day, and we planted it early, and it did not perform uh, just based on a, a timing issue with rains. Uh, but uh, this longer season, 120 day 
variety. Uh, caught the uh, July rains just perfect, and uh, uh, it's it's a good performer for us. That's awesome. You know, that, and that brings up a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that, Bill, that uh, sometimes the timing makes such a big difference uh, depending on which maturity you've got out there. And and I, I love spreading risk on our farm. We had a, a pretty broad risk uh, portfolio across our farm this year with, with late day corn with a, some really early stuff. And we did the same thing on soybeans. And, and that really did show up this year. I'm sure glad we did it. Yeah, that's something i try to do every year i've I've, uh, got an off-farm job too and uh, i try to plant a shorter season variety early so i can get started a little earlier and then uh, maybe just roll on into the longer season varieties but uh, just luck of the draw this year the uh, longer season would have been the way to go Yep. Yeah. And I, I do hear from other farmers that say, oh man, but then I've got some acres that weren't at the optimal level or didn't work out just right. I agree with you. That's, that is how it is, but I'd rather keep that to a smaller percentage than have my whole farm that way if I wasn't experimenting a little bit and finding out. Because not every year is having the full season stuff the best move. And also not every year is having the, the very early stuff the best move. How about population, Bill? This is something uh, I just got into a discussion today within a agronomist uh, in the next state over and he was talking about some of the population checks they were doing and some of the surprises one of his guys that he works with high population was great for him in 2019 and it's been terrible for him the last two years and he's like oh man you got to try something different every year what do you do with that do you kind of find a population and stick with it or do you switch it up field by field this year uh i backed off on population uh this particular field is some of our better dirt and uh in years past on the longer season varieties that we try to push a little bit with a little more uh fertility i've planted 34 uh this year i cut that back to 30 and i think i gambled right uh we've we've tried to push populations before and uh Sometimes you get into some lodging issues. Uh, we've noticed a lot of down corn with the with the higher populations, but uh, I think uh, just guessed right this year at thirty. Yep, yeah, I would say you guessed right. You hit a home run, no doubt about that. It's it's really cool when you get to see yield results from guys, and it's also really cool to see when it's a big success. Bill, way to go! Congratulations to you. It was great talking to you today. Hopefully, the rest of harvest goes awesome too. All right, thanks a lot. You bet. Yeah, that is fun. And I and I do like his comment there about cutting that population back a little bit that this year that was absolutely the right thing to do in a lot of cases. Now I realize not every case. That's why we're saying diversify. Always try a few different things uh, across the farm and just see and spread your risk out. But I know what he's talking about, about the down corn. There's a lot of that this year as you head across the Midwest. And a lot of times it was the higher pops that went down worse. All right. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD. We'll get back to more of your phone calls right after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Ag PhD has one mission give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Just talked with Bill over in Indiana, who's crushing it. Did a great job. Got some great yields. Corn looks fantastic. Uh, that's awesome to hear. It's really, really good, especially with all the challenges we had in this growing season. Got Doug up next over in Iowa. All right, Doug, are you going to top Bill? Have you got a great story about your corn harvest? Well, how about this? I haven't got one ear out. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is it <laughs> is the corn wet or is it muddy? What have you got going on? Well, uh, one-man operation, and you can only do gotcha. so many things at a time. And uh, we're down to one farm on beans, and uh, so I'm trying to get those out. Uh, I did take a sample of corn it was 159 right out of the field wow uh, looked super uh did a little yield checking and uh, come up with like 270 i don't know if oh that'll hold goodness. or not wow. but <laughs> that's pretty good that's so, that's pretty good. and zero drying expense uh, i'd say you're gonna yeah. do okay on that yeah 
Yeah. So all oh, the field won't do that, but it's nice to know you got areas that are good. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I, I'm glad you brought this up too, Doug, because we look at how different one farm is to the next. And it's easy to yeah. say, oh, I don't know what Doug's doing. He's still working on beans and, and we're finishing up corn. Well, Doug's a one man show. And so yeah. it's going to take a little bit of time and things are going to have to go well for him. Uh, so how do you make the most out of that, Doug? What do you do to try and improve your efficiency? Well, uh, if I can get my son and my wife to help me, that helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got two combines, um, one operator, but I can switch from corn to beans in the middle of the day and not miss a beat. Awesome. So uh, there's there's efficiency there. You bet. Um, I guess I, I got a semi. I really can't justify it, but it helps me keep moving. Yeah, so, well, tell you what, you uh, can't get many acres done if you're going to crush 270 out of the field. I know it. I know it. I'm going to have to get another semi, aren't <laughs> that's, I? That's a good problem to have. <laughs> uh, the bean the bean yields here, I think. So how's that? Oh, I'm sorry. You cut out for just a second there, Doug. Did you say you're getting 40 bushel? Yeah, a little plus that. <laughs> <laughs> um. The best we've had is 75. Okay. Okay. So Southern Iowa, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, but I think every field we've been in is, is uh, a record yield this year from oh, years, awesome. years past. So uh, I've been farming for a few years, and uh, that's that's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, that is good. Okay, so talk to us about the cattle a little bit. I know the crop is, is always fun, but, but when you get some livestock, are you proud, more proud of the crops this year or are you more proud of the cattle? Oh, I like them all. <laughs> um, well, uh, one pasture's got a Canadian thistle problem. Uh, we got it sprayed about 10 days ago. Um, I had it custom sprayed with the idea that we're coming back next fall and hit that again. And hopefully we can get those under control because they've kind of been out of control. And uh, so that's going on. And I got some soil testing to do on the pastures and uh, where we've taken beans off. We've got some soil testing to do there. Uh, the pa uh, hay fields, um, uh, the armyworm, you've probably Ooh, heard of those, yes, haven't you? Yes, uh, they, They've hit in our area in cert just certain fields. And I had one field uh on this one place east of the house it was devastated and the rest of it looked good so go figure yep yep yeah that was yep. a big challenge in some areas of the country and and in, there's really some broad geographies that had armyworm challenges this year so oh yeah. I, I didn't realize you had that in your part of iowa well i i actually uh went up to canada fishing and when i came back uh, this one guy's field looked beautiful when I left. When it came back, it looked like he'd sprayed it, uh, you know, to burn down to do something else with it. Yep. And I talked to him, and he says, oh, army worms. And I says, oh, my gosh. Uh, if you look at it today, it's up about six inches of regrowth. Looks beautiful. Um, they got on it real quick, and it uh, uh, looks looks good. And so, yeah, it can be – this year has been a real challenge with uh, army worms on alfalfa. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned the soil testing on pasture and also uh, in the soybean ground that you're, you're getting finished up with too. Uh, when you look at, at crop nutrients this year, obviously the prices are up. 
Um, yeah. is there, is there a different strategy you've got when you have a high price year like this, or do you just figure, you know what, uh, everything else is up. So that's, that's kind of in line and, and we're just going to keep going at it as normal. Well, if you look at the yields we're getting on the beans, I can put some fertilizer on that ground. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so I'm looking at, you know, some, some realistic corn yields and we'll put that on and go forward and you know that's that's all you can do is just keep moving yeah brandon and i were talking about it there's kind of been two approaches so far at least from people who have been calling and writing in with questions it's either all right i can make a ton of money next year if i do this right so i'm definitely not cutting back because i think i'm going to make money on this fertilizer investment and other guys are saying man i just can't write the check it just hurts too much yeah well everybody's situation is different you know, uh, it, it just, it's all what, what's going to work for you financially because, you know, cash rent, land payments, equipment payments, input payments, it only goes so far. So you got to put your pencil to it and figure out what's going to work for you. Cause there's, there's no single answer for either anyone. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, and you mentioned the, the ownership of the land. I, I noticed some of the sales that have been happening in Iowa and the prices land's been going for, I would imagine cash rent. Uh, that's probably not going to be an interesting or not going to be a good discussion going into next year either. Uh, where are you yeah. sitting at that? Are you renting ground or you own most of the stuff you're farming now? Well, we own quite a bit. Um, I guess I'm fortunate. I got some landlords that uh, we'll crop share and uh, we crop share. I have a little cash rent on some hay ground, uh, but as far as crop land, I, I don't, I don't cash rent uh, any. Yep. Uh, one of my landlords, he says, I make as much money crop sharing with you as if I'd cash rent it. And I figure his pencil's pretty good. So, yeah. And, and on a year like this, it, it it's kind of good where those guys make a little extra money for taking that risk with you and sharing in some of that. Yep. And so I, yep. I think it is a good system. No doubt about it. We just picked up uh, another piece of ground that we're share, sharing with uh, uh, the landowner. And that's, that's why he looked at it too. He's like, you know what? I know my ground isn't the best, but when you get a year like this where you actually can make money on it, it's kind of nice. You pay me a little extra. That's right. That's right. And I, I treat all the rented land as if I owned it, and uh, I, you know, have a lot of conversation with the landlords uh, on cover crops, and chemicals, and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, so how are the just keep them on board? How are the grain buyers doing in your area? Are they getting full, or are you able to get in and and haul there all day long? We seem to be okay. Um, there's one elevator starting to pile outside, but. So far, it seems to be okay. Yeah, that's that gets to be a holdup, especially for, for a one-man show like you've got going on. That uh, One more field of beans, that's awesome. Knock that thing out. Yeah. And, and uh, I love hearing that that corn's still still standing well, looking good, and, and ready to roll. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the stalks are, are done. Um, it needs to come out as soon as possible, um, but it's not a train wreck yet. But, you know, if we had a, a major wind, rain, event uh it changed everybody's outlook on the board yeah yeah that's for sure well good luck to you doug i, I know uh, you got a lot going on there hopefully you're still getting a little bit of sleep uh, so you can stay in one piece till the end of this thing 
There you go. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, good talking to you, too. I enjoy your show. You bet. Thanks a lot, Doug. We really appreciate it. And I, I love uh, one of the things I love that Doug's doing, too, is he is soil sampling the pastures. He is trying to do the best to, to get good, nutritious grass grass out there and also uh, to have plenty of it for the cattle. That that makes such a big difference. Uh, the armyworm thing, though, that he brought up, uh, I, I guess I didn't realize his part of the state had that problem this year, but I know we had a number of farmers talking about armyworm and, wow, hadn't seen that for a while, so... Uh, glad, glad his neighbors got right after that because that, that'll make a big deal uh, going into next year too. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. Taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to Illinois. Got Jeff with us right now on the phone. Jeff, how's it going? I'm pretty wet today, just uh, trying to get ready for whenever the sun comes out. How's harvest going in your part of the state? September was really fun, and October has not been. Uh, we got rain shower after rain shower, a lot of beans left out to get cut, and a fair amount of corn has been harvested already. But for the most part, corn's still standing, so yields have been okay to good to great. So not bad here around Decatur. You know, the... The rain, the way that's come in some areas, I, I was talking to a grower over in Maryland here uh, just in the last couple of days, and he was saying, man, it's just been so wet. The beans have been so wet. They've stayed in the 16 to 18%. I just can't get them out. Uh, it's very frustrating. I know we've had that before on our farm, too, and there have been days where it's like, well, I guess we can go take some corn. That's wet, too, but at least we can get that harvested while we're waiting for these beans. Has that been the strategy you guys have taken? Yeah, pretty much. We have drying systems available in our operation, so we've been running those. So we started beginning of September, 32% corn. So we got a good jump on harvest and then got some early deliveries uh, that we were committed to and got those taken care of. And then, you know, now it's still we're to the 115-day corn, which is our later maturities, and it's still still 19, 20%, which is great for a drying system not so great for guys that don't have one so today we're just getting rid of some corn that we have over run on so the next time the sun comes out we can at least have a place for it to go and uh, be able to put the corn crop away and then hopefully by then the beans will be somewhat ready kept a lot of farmers around here have a lot of beans to cut and they just haven't had very many full days at all to get beans cut yeah, yeah, that's a challenge. I, you, you mentioned the early delivery on corn, and and I know Brian was all excited about some of those opportunities this year for our farm too. Of wow, if we could just take some corn off just a little early, even if it's wet, and we got to dry it down first before we haul it somewhere. Wow, there was a nice little bump. Uh, did did you catch some of that too, where you got got some of that extra bump? Yeah, we got a we got a nice bump, and then uh, that was that. You know, that pays for dryers and bins and gas so uh it's, it's nice to catch one of those every now and then to have things line up where you can actually take advantage of your infrastructure of your investment and uh to make that roll and get everybody kind of started and and, and we, we had a good run we picked quite a bit of corn we then we got you know had to dry it and then get it delivered in a short period of time but i mean we only had a week to deliver hundred several hundred thousand bushels so it, it was a it was a big push. It was all hands on deck. And once we got that out of the way, then we cut some beans. But since our two eight beans were cut, and then after that, we pretty well haven't cut very many beans at all, but been showing a lot of corn. So I'd say around here about 80, 80 90% of the corn's picked and about, oh, 40% of the beans, maybe 30 Yep. Yep. That's a long ways to go. And I, I thought about our own area. We had early planted beans. There, there were more guys that planted in April than, than we've seen before. How about in your area? Did guys get a jump on things with planting too? Uh, planting was challenging. We planted April, May, and June. 
So it's been an extreme challenge. Um, you know, we just got a lot of rain. I know one field, it had 47 inches before the last couple inches. So we got to be pushing 46, 47 for the year. Annually, we're in that 32 to 34, 36 range. So we're eight inches above average for the year. And it's still middle of October. So next week, we're supposed to see the sun. Uh, hopefully we can get get some days going but probably just get corn harvested and then we'll still be waiting on getting the beans cut so yep. you know how that goes it's uh one day in september of bean cutting is two days in october is three days in november so yeah so yep that's for sure it's getting dark pretty early at night and it's taken a while to get things dried out in the in the mornings no doubt about that yeah and beans are laying down too that doesn't help any you know they're just been so wet all year they're just they were falling down a month ago and now they're, you know, they don't stand back up. They're just more of them fall down with them. So, you know, when they're laying down, they don't dry out as well as you wish or as soon as they'd wish. So it's a kind of a challenge to get this, to get this one put away and then, you know, trying to secure inputs for, for 22 and looking at seed guides and trying to figure out what we're going to do next season is kind of what we're doing today. Yep. Yeah. You got to make use of every minute. Like you say, it's, uh, there's getting to be fewer minutes in, of sunlight each day and still a lot of harvest to go. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate you talking to us today, taking the time and good luck to you. Hopefully you get that sunshine and little breeze coming up soon. That's right. Thank you. Take care. You bet. Let's head over to Massachusetts. Got Fran on right now. Fran, how are you doing today? Hey, how you doing? Good. Good, good. I, I explained to the lady, I'm not a farmer. Uh, I don't farm, but I watch uh, on YouTube the Millennial Channel and a couple other of the uh, farm channels. I, uh, I'm i just uh, really impressed on how hard those guys work and what they put in, you know, for, you know, for a day. And uh, it's just amazing. And I, you know, since the Internet, uh, I was never aware of what they, what they go through, especially out in the Midwest where they've got all the droughts and everything. Uh, the guys are, um, they work hard. They work hard for their money. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that, friend. That is a great observation. They do. And I, I actually had one of my friends had, had, uh, forwarded on something. There's, there's a neighbor that doesn't farm and they, they apparently woke him up at about three in the morning. They still had combines going in his field, trying to get it out before, I think it was before the last hurricane that had come through their area. And so they were just hustling to get all the crap in they could. And, and he had just put a social media post out, just thanking the farmers and saying, you know, yep, I lost one night of sleep because there was some loud equipment running by my house, but I, I know that it's their, their whole income is sitting out in the field and so good luck to everybody getting the crap out. And I thought, man, that's good to, to take a, a bigger look at things. And not, it's not all about us. It's about about everybody else out there, too. And that was pretty cool. So what, what got you interested in the farming? Is it food safety, entertainment value? You like to see big equipment? What's, what's cool for you, Fran? Well, it's just something I never got involved in before. Well, my wife's family is um, they farm up here in the Pioneer Valley along the Connecticut River. And I've, over the years, I've seen them have good years, and then all of a sudden, overnight, lose a, an entire 10-acre crop of tomatoes, whatever. And, you know, they work hard. It's a struggle for them sometimes. The drought we had a few years ago, uh, it, was, um, it was painful to watch them try to, you know, get a crop in and make money. And, uh, you know, that's about the extent of my gardening. I'm, I could 
I can't grow anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, not everybody's got a green thumb, and, and I'm sure your expertise is in, in other areas, so that's cool, too, because we need that as well. But, uh, you know, it's kind of neat. And so your wife's family, does she get involved in that at all, or, or is it more uh, just relatives of hers that are doing that? It's a relative. It's her, her cousin, and they have a, a farm. It's a pretty good-sized operation. And down in, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Hadley, in Hatfield, Mass, down around there. Well, you know, they've got a lot of good farms down there, a lot of um, small growers and some larger ones, a lot of potatoes and stuff. Tobacco's coming back. They've got quite a bit of that going. So, Interesting. I, yeah, yeah, we've, we've got a nice little operation down here. They, uh, they sell a lot of their produce to the local like the big Y stores, which you're not probably not familiar with, and some of the other ones, and uh, it, it's just nice. It's it's nice to see it start up in the season, the beginning of the season, and go right through. It's uh, sad to see it come to an end, but that's uh, that's where we're at right now. They're they're all hustling to get their stuff out of the ground. Yeah, that's for sure. It's not too long, and it's going to be uh, going to be pretty cold out there. So, really appreciate the call today, Fran. I, I, I'm glad uh, glad that you're checking into this stuff, and and hopefully uh, you find our show interesting as well. No, it is. It is. I, I'm sitting out in front at the uh, uh, waiting for somebody, and I just turned that on, and I thought I'd just try to call in. Anyway, I just wanted to put that across to you because I, I watching the guys on the Millennial Channel and a few others. Uh, those guys, I, I don't know how they do it. Oh, man, it is hard work, no doubt about it. Thanks a lot, friend. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls at 844-44-AG-PHD here in the Morton studio, but we're also taking your emails for the Ag PhD mailbag radio at agphd.com. It's the mailbag. All right, uh, let's, let's try the first one here. We got this one in from Lee. I uh, sent an email in uh, today. He said, first of all, thanks for your information. I'm a cow guy. I'm doing a lot more farming than I thought I'd be doing five years ago, and I, I'm catching your your radio and uh, just loving the information you got. Well, I've got some dry manure from a neighboring feedlot that I'm going to spread on my fields, and I'm currently growing mar- malt, barley, and alfalfa. I'm shooting for 510 alfalfa, 130 bushel barley. All irrigated, part of its flood, some of its pivot. And I sent a manure sample in to see where I was at with salt and with nutrition, so I'm out in Wyoming. And I'm just wondering about the salt. Uh, wondering what you're looking for on the test. Are you looking at sodium or are you looking at something else? I remember you saying stay under 500 pounds per acre with the salt. This sample shows 7 pounds per ton of sodium. And just wondering what you think. I've already got high sodium levels, 2% base saturation. So I want to be careful about that one. All right. Thanks, Lee. We really appreciate the question. And and yeah, I love it when you get an analysis of the manure to see what there is. And, and so on Lee's analysis here, he's got an analysis by dry basis uh, and as his basis and then what's going to be available in pounds per ton the first year. So this dry cattle manure is going to be about five pounds of nitrogen, seven and a half pounds of phosphorus, and just shy of 27 pounds of potassium with each ton. And when you look at that, obviously you're going to get a lot of potassium out there pretty quick, which is wonderful. And if you're going to be just looking at, well, what am I going to get for nitrogen? You're probably going to need to apply a little bit more, uh, depending on if it's the barley crop or the alfalfa. Of course, the alfalfa, you'll be fine. So when I look at this, your, your question was around the salts. What I'm looking at, Lee, is the soluble salts. So that's the last number uh, down at the bottom. And it says there's 35.7 pounds of soluble salts in a ton. So that's going to be my limiting factor. Uh, by that, you've got, uh, what, 15 ton roughly you could apply uh, before you'd be at 500 pounds of salt. But then you look at, well, goodness, I got a bunch of um, potassium out there. I don't need that much. Um, I, I want to say this too. Before you look at this 500 pound number, keep in mind where you're at. You're in Wyoming. Now you've got irrigation, so you've got some water, but 
is that water going to move down through the soil well? That's something you have to look at too. Do you have any compaction out there? Have you got any challenges uh, with that 2% base saturation sodium? That starts to impact what kind of permeability you have in your soil with water. So that I would say 500 would be uh, on the high side for you. I would go a little bit less than that if it was me. But yeah, the soluble salt number is the one that you're going to want to watch. Thanks, Lee. We really appreciate that question. Got another one that came in, and this one is uh, from Pennsylvania. This is from Hank. And let me just see here. Is that? Oh, boy. We got several tests here that are all together. All right. So let me get the question first. So Hank said, earlier this spring uh, in April, I applied 4,000 pounds per acre of a high calcium lime. I also put on 400 pounds of urea and 400 pounds of potassium sulfate. Now, this fall, when I took another soil sample, I noticed the calcium levels haven't gone up very much. Now, I did chisel plow all of this in after application, and I'm wondering, did I work the calcium too deep, or is it just going to take longer for the calcium to show up on my tests? Uh, well, first of all, let me answer that question. It's just going to take a little bit longer for it to show up on the tests. I don't believe you went too deep. Now, he said, I chisel plowed at around at least 10 inches deep, and when I soil test, I'm pulling 8-inch cores from the same area, and then I'm mixing and dividing that soil in half and, and sending to two different labs here. Now, just wondering if you have any recommendations. I'm growing corn, soybeans, and wheat on this ground. I've been applying boron, manganese sulfate, copper sulfate. I've noticed those levels going up. I'm not applying phosphorus right now since our ground is naturally high, and just uh, for, for those of you who are curious about, well, what's high? he's got 133 parts per million so he's got a good good amount of phosphorus out there for for a decent crop so uh, yep i agree with you hank i think i'd focus on other things other than the phosphorus because potassium uh on the test that came through penn state was 39 parts per million on the test that came through rutgers is 89 parts per million and both are still lower than what you'd want and oh by the way the the Oof, the test for phosphorus from, from Rutgers was even higher. So, yeah, you do have a good amount of phosphorus out there, which, hey, that's a great that's a great tool for you. You don't have to spend money on phosphorus. All right, so what would I do? I'm just looking at the base saturations on the, the test that you ran through Penn State. 4.2% magnesium. We need that to be at least 10. So I would spend some money on magnesium. And I got thinking about your lime. I would have put on a dolomitic lime source where I've got high magnesium and high calcium. You could have killed two birds with one application there or one stone. So I would look at magnesium, getting that base saturation up over 10%. Then I'd also look at your potassium. Your base saturation there is just under 1%. I would spend the money on potassium. So in this case, uh, if you went off the Penn State recommendations and you wanted to get to 4% base saturation K, well, that'd be 800 pounds of potash. Now, if you've looked at the price of potash lately, it's not pretty. So do you really want to do 800 pounds in one shot this year? Probably not. But, you know, if it's ground that you own and you say, hey, I'm in a good spot here uh, financially, we're, we're rock solid. I, I don't mind taking a flyer on it. I've got a small field. Let's go for it. Uh, that's what I do. I'd put on 800 pounds of potash plus whatever your crop removal is going to be because that 800 will just build you up to 4%. Then after that, you're going to have to feed the crop. So I would look at building magnesium. I'd look at building potassium as well. Now, the other thing that I noticed here is your zinc. And when you look at, at zinc, you've got anywhere between uh, one and a half parts per million and two and a half parts per million. 
I would look at that zinc number and say, I'd like to be in the 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc. So if you've got 100 parts per million of phosphorus, well, you got a long ways to go on the zinc. So I'd start experimenting with a little higher rates of zinc out there. Not that you have to get to 10 parts per million overnight, or not that 10 parts per million is necessarily always going to be a great recommendation for your soils. But I'd definitely look at building up zinc. I'd look at building up the magnesium and calcium, or I'm sorry, magnesium and potassium first. And then back to uh, your original question, I don't see that calcium building up on my test. Here's the thing. Lime takes about three years, depending on the fineness and the grade that you've got, to break down. So let's just say that you had a really fine lime source and it's going to start breaking down pretty fast. Great. What you're going to see is your hydrogen percentage on base saturation going down. You're going to see your soil pH going up and you're going to see that calcium build. So those are the three factors that I'd be looking at to see, hey, is my lime really working for me right out there or or not, or is it time to start applying some more lime? So if you didn't have a very fine lime source, that's where you're going to run into some trouble. That's where it's going to take even longer. So I guess if you had a sample of what that lime looked like, we could look at that too and kind of give you an idea. But you're getting plenty of rain. At least much of Pennsylvania is getting plenty of rain over the last month or two. And I think this growing season was okay at least. So that, that makes a difference too. Where we're at, if we just don't get rain and we're on dry land ground, that can be a challenge. But I think you're getting enough rain to, to get things moving. Hopefully you'll see that by the end of next year. All right. Uh, I got a question here from WS. And boy, Creeping Charlie is just never going to die for us. Now, if you've ever had Creeping Charlie out in your lawn, you'd say, yeah, it does never die. That stuff is tough. Well, uh, we had a couple of questions this week about Creeping Charlie, and here we go again. We got one from WS. He said, would Creeping Charlie make a good low-maintenance ground cover for a vacant property? Okay, if you've got a vacant property and there's already Creeping Charlie out there and you don't want to spend the money to kill it and have decent grass growing on that vacant property, sure, WS, that would be great ground cover. Uh, that stuff is, it's tough. It, I haven't seen it winter kill. I haven't seen uh, any animal that's just uprooted it. it. It's just, it's one of those things that unless you're spraying it with Roundup, it's probably going to stay there. So yeah, you could sure use that for low maintenance ground cover. Now, if you're asking me, hey, I've got a, a property and it might be somebody's house and their yard here in a few years, should I seed Creeping Charlie out there? The answer to that is no. Please don't do that. This stuff is tough to get rid of, and I would not want to wish that on anybody if they had to get it out of their lawn. So, yeah, if it's already out there and you just want to let it go for a while because you're not doing anything with that property, it is very low maintenance, and, yeah, that would be fine. Otherwise, no, don't use it. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening today. I always enjoy Farmer Friday. I can't believe it's Friday already. This week went so fast. Hopefully it did for you as well. Please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.